And this is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, thank you uh, for letting me step up here. Uh, we're going to break out of your series, I think, in Matthew, as you're thinking this year about what does it look like to follow Jesus, to be formed by him. So this is kind of in line with that, because what you're going to see is the early church, what it looked like for them to be formed by the gospel, which is fresh. It was new. Uh, it overturned their entire lives, not only Jerusalem and the whole region. Um, and so I as you're, as you're thinking about your own series, as you're thinking about what Pastor Steve Reed is walking you through, this is a snapshot, as Luke likes to do. He likes to give just a summary of like, he backs the camera up and says, this is what it's looking like. And that's what we're seeing here, just a summary of what the church was doing. So, um, it, and what it reminds me of and what we're going to talk about is just your table. A uh, part of what it means to belong to this table uh, is it changes how you use your own table. And that's all we're really going to be talking about. Probably 10 years ago, well, I was a new pastor uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. This was even before um, I had gone into ministry, so it was a little longer than 10 years ago. Uh, we were flying from Philadelphia back to Charlottesville with my family. and had all my kids uh, with me, and somebody came over to me, and she didn't speak. She actually sp- she spoke English well, but she had a French accent. And she said, hey, can I borrow your phone? Because I think we're going to be late, and I need to call my husband. So I did, and then she started talking to us, and we had three little kids, and they were running around acting like kids do. And she's like, I really love your family. Like, I've never seen a family do that before. I'm like, well, you know, give it time. They will wear on you. Uh, But we became just quick friends at at the gate, and then we saw her and her husband several months later in a music store because her husband was a musician, and he was giving a lesson. And we met each other. Like, hey, you're that person that was on the plane with us. And we became friends, and they immediately invited us to their house for dinner, immediately. Like, can you come over for dinner? And we did. Uh, She was a staunch atheist. He professed to be agnostic, but we shared the table. They came to our church. They came to Portico Church in Charlottesville. They didn't like it, didn't like anything about it. They said, you guys are getting this all wrong. But we kept sharing the table, and they loved it. Um, that is how the church works. Friends, your table is an extension of this table right here. Especially now, in this day and age, people don't come to the church looking for answers anymore, but they will come to your table. Like, what do we use our tables for? Throwing the keys on it, right? Backpacks, it's okay. Mail goes on there. But historically, the church has used the table as a place to gather, right? It's a, it's a place where, because we're there, God is in the room, and he joins us in that. We are the most connected generation in history. History's never seen anything like it. In your pocket, you have everybody that you've ever met is connected to you, nonstop, nonstop. That said, we are lonely. In fact, Surgeon General says loneliness is an epidemic, One out of two people report having severe loneliness. Not only that, 
It's killing us. It's a health crisis. Their words. 26%, according to studies, 26% of people have health issues from loneliness. Doesn't make sense, does it? We have more information. We have more connectedness. But we have less health and a lot of loneliness. If you think about that for a minute, the lostness seems unrecoverable. What do we do about that as Christians? We think about missions. We think about giving. We think about all the programs that our churches can do, and and they matter. But I think we're missing something. I, I really believe God wants to use our tables to do something. I really believe that. This Christian community that you see in Acts, they're using their tables. You see that they gather at two places. Now, we're not going to talk about everything in that text. It's a great summary statement, but I'm going to focus on the fact that they gathered together, this Christian community that was newly formed, and they were growing rapidly. They gathered together, one, at the temple, which kind of makes sense. This would be our version of temple, but it's a little bit different, and we'll talk about that. And they also gathered at the table, not just for communion, but at, it says, in their homes. So their whole lives are overturned. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God had left the temple. It's gone. We see these beautiful visions in Ezekiel of someday the Spirit of God coming back and refilling the temple and these living waters flowing out. But it never really happens. And then Ezra comes back after being in exile and tries to reestablish the community in faith. And it doesn't stick. And then Nehemiah comes back later. And he's like, no, this place is falling apart. He tries to reestablish the community in faith. And at the end of Nehemiah, which is the end of the Old Testament, he's like, don't forget, God, I tried. And there's silence. The Spirit never comes back. The glory of the Lord never shows up until Acts. And God would pour his spirit out on the temple. That they would, you would see it. It's a physical, powerful manifestation of God's localized presence. There would usually be smoke and cloud. God's presence always seemed to have that. And here we are at Pentecost, which is just before our text. The spirit of God is poured out. Remember, Jesus had resurrected. He was teaching The disciples were afraid. There's only about 120 of them left. And the Spirit of God, think glory of God, returns to the temple. Because now the temple is not mediated by the temple in Jerusalem. You are the temple. The Spirit of God is poured out with thunder, with power, with a mighty wind. And this fire that comes in ends up lighting, landing on a group like this. They didn't quite know what to make of it. They were speaking in tongues. But they were fulfilling the prophecy of Joel where it was pulled that the Spirit of God would come and and take up residence, not in a building, but the sons and daughters of God would be prophesying, would be speaking his wonderful glories. And they're doing it. And they're doing it in local languages. Jerusalem had a lot of different people in it. So they're there, and they're hearing the glories of God being proclaimed in their local languages. The Spirit of God's back. The glory of God has come in fullness Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit, which is the power and the presence of God on his people. How do they respond? They gather. They gather together at the temple, and they gather together at the table. So let's look at that. This is what, this is what Christian community does. They gather together at the temple first. 
So this kind of makes sense. Uh, just to jump out of that, they're no different than us in some regards. They have deep longings to be known and loved. That is how life works. Acts 2.46. And day by day, that's ongoing rhythm, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. If you want to tell the story of humanity, it's hunger. That's it. Hunger tells our story. We eat 21 times a week. God designed us that way. And think about hunger as that deep desire, that appetite. It's not just physical. Our soul is starving. Their souls were starving. They are created to be in a love-trust relationship with the living God, and they were waiting, and it was frustrated, and life was difficult, and marriage didn't always work out, and kids didn't always work out, and it never quite felt like you were there. And this deep desire to be filled by God, to be truly known, truly loved. How, how does that work out in our lives? We fill it. We fill it with things that we acquire, our stuff. We fill it with our careers. We fill it with sex. We fill it with relationships. We fill it. And we wake up the next day and we're starving. It never quite gets us there, does it? This is not new. Deep down hunger. Now, sometimes when we think of the gospel, we think the gospel is about destroying our desires, right? Oh, no, get rid of those desires. You think it's about, about getting rid of our deepest hunger, but it's not. See, God tells a very different story. It's not about removing anything. The gospel is not about destroying your desires. In fact, tasting the glory of God is really like give it, it inflames your appetite. You want more. You have a taste of the infinite. You have, you have an appetizer of the glory of God, and this is what you want. This is what they wanted. They were filled with the power and presence of God. He was doing stuff in them and among them and through them, and it gave them this holy hunger. I want more of that. So much so, it changed the entire rhythm of their life. Every day, day by day, ongoing, they would show up at the temple. Is this real? Is this really happening? Did, did God actually pour his spirit out? On and on. So they're filled. Their hunger's being satisfied. The apostles, those who had walked with Jesus, those who had seen him, they had witnessed his life. Many of these people have witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus had taught them. He had ascended. He poured out the Spirit, they'd experienced that. They'd tasted it. They'd participated in it. And it was growing. So it wasn't satisfying their hunger alone. It was giving them a taste for God. Like Psalm 40, 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? It, it both satisfies you and makes you more hungry to be filled by God. This is what was happening in Jerusalem. So I... I used to live here for 10 years. Restaurants up here are amazing. I'm just going to say that. Charlottesville's good too, but you got, you guys win. Villa Virginia wins. What do you do when you find a restaurant that you love? What do you do? Do you hide it? Well, you might, but you take your friend. You got to taste this. And the oysters are salty and, and just briny and clean, or, or they have this, this pasta, this sauce. This, it's amazing. I've never had anything like it. You want to share it. That's what you do. The things that you taste that are amazing, you have to share it. That's how you complete your joy of it. That's what we hunger for. 
So Christian community gathers together at the temple. They were not just hungering for God. They were seeing and hungering for the wonders of God. Verse 42 says, and they devoted. So that means they were drawn in. Devotion is not like somebody's dragging you to church, right? And sending out social medias. Don't forget, we're meeting today. No, devoted is you are attaching yourself to that thing. You're devoted. You love it. So they're devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. So it wasn't just an association. They had experienced the living God through his living word, through fellowship. So that's the commonness of life. But fellowship is more like the idea that our lives are connected to something higher than ourselves. That's how worship works. Just like John was talking about worshiping God through how you give, we together, as we give sacrificially and joyfully, we are connected to what God is doing. So you are made to be in this kind of fellowship with people. They were devoted to that. They were also breaking bread and praying together. And I love this part. It says, and awe came upon every soul. Awe or fear. Many wonders and signs were being done. Don't miss that. You live for awe. You want it. You live to see something that has such power, such promise, such purpose in your life that it changes how you want to live. Now, I'm going to give you some silly examples. I mean, I know people that have gone to Taylor Swift concert, and the way they'd explain it sounds like awe to me. Just going to sit with that for a minute. No, no but really, entertainment when somebody's really, really, really good at what they do. She's got this whole jilted lover thing down. Nobody writes better her than that, right? She's it. Or maybe you love orchestra, or maybe you love the symphony. And it just, it seems like when you're in that moment, it kind of transcends. Or, or if you love to climb, maybe seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time, you're like, this is amazing. Like, there's something more than me that matters. I want to attach my life to it. So you spend your life climbing or going or traveling or seeing entertainment or seeing the person that you love. See, the signs and wonders that Jesus did and the apostles did, they not only confirmed the works and the words of Jesus, that was true. They were evidence of his ongoing work, but they showed the kingdom. The kingdom had arrived. The promises that came out of the Old Testament, out of Ezekiel, even out of Nehemiah, they're here. The kingdom is here. I cast out demons because I am binding the enemy. I heal sickness because I am the healer. And the king's feet are on the ground. So the promises are being fulfilled. That's what signs and wonders show. It also shows the presence of the kingdom. And it's a small picture of the future. Like you, you're going to die someday if Jesus doesn't return. But you will live eternally. So as we see Jesus raise Lazarus, we see Jesus himself walk out of the grave, we're reminded that's my future. These are being confirmed to those who are gathering at the temple. And we need that awe. Something's going to feed your soul. You're going to find it. You will find it. If you don't find it in God, you will find it. And it's never satisfying. It's good, but it's never satisfying. They had seen God's work around Jerusalem. Now they're experiencing it in their lives and among them. When you see that, when you see God's work among you, you have to share in it. But not only that, you want to share in the lives of those who are sharing faith, sharing belief. 
For instance, if you're a Swifty, you, like, if you see somebody that has that shirt on, you're like, oh, yeah. Or if I see a San Francisco 49ers jersey, because I absolutely love this team, it's my day. Um, I'm going to be depressed for three weeks or just uh, terrible just to be with, right? Just an arrogant. But if I see somebody that has a, oh, oh, you got a Jerry Rice, like, we belong together. We share in this. They shared in the Spirit of God. They They shared in the presence of God. That is the fellowship we are made for. Christian community is rooted in this spiritual unity. This is why they showed up at the temple. The spiritual unity that they were, they were tied together with God's word. They were tied together with God's grace. They were experiencing it in real time. And that Christian unity led to a very, 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 we're not good at this, practical unity. Now, we're really good at the spiritual unity. We're like, yeah, let's do a Bible study. You can even do it over Zoom. But that's warm-blooded people. How about we just eat together and talk about the Lord? Well, that's not knowledge. It's practiced knowledge. They understood this. Physical presence is necessary. Verse 244. And all who believed, right? All who had put their hope in the living God, all who said Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection belongs to me, that said his ascension and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit belongs to me, and his return belongs to me. All that believed that and were living in that were together, it said, and had all things in common. They shared their life, they shared their faith, they shared their possessions, they shared their time. All of it. It changed their life. Christian community does that. They are gathered at the temple, which is really good for them because as you read Acts, they became progressively persecuted. Like they ended up being kicked out of the synagogues. At first it would seem like it was a Christian, like, uh, or a Jewish cult of sorts, but they were accepted as time went on. Uh, The synagogues kicked them out. As you read Acts, a deacon got stoned and killed and persecuted. A lot of the Christians moved up north towards Samaria. God used that to grow his church. But sharing life and possessions set them up for that. First John says this, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We see this as an effort, but it's really just an essence of the church. It's normal life. That's the whole point. It became normal. The rhythms of their life together became normal because they knew Jesus. Christian community gathers together at the temple. Does it shape your life? Does does doxology shape your life? Does... The word you learn here shape your life. Does the spirit that empowers the word shape your life? Do those words we sing, be thou my vision, does that shape your life? So they would meet at Solomon's portico, Acts chapter 5, 12. The reason they would meet there is because it was the least restrictive part of the temple. It was on the east side of the temple complex. Anybody could go there, Gentiles, anybody. So the early church met there at the temple, not in the temple, and they would, they would feed on the teachings of Jesus. That's Christian community. That's how it works. They met at the temple. So stop for a minute. Think about your hunger. I'm not talking about getting Jimmy John's after church. 
Think about your deeper hunger. Where's that getting fed? How are you feeding it? Is God meeting that? And here's a bigger question. Is God meeting that through this community, through the people around you? Is he, is that hunger being satisfied as we join together? Because what Jesus has done is extraordinary, but it fuels life in the ordinary, doesn't it? It shapes our life. Secondly, so they gather at the temple. That becomes normal. Well, how would we do that? I don't know. Community groups, getting together, coming to worship, stirring one another up to good works, letting our life be shaped by God's grace, letting this become ordinary, not the exception. But it also says, and this is really where it's landing, is that they gathered together, Christian community gathered together at the table. This is so good. So Jesus ate a lot. I just, if, if you ever wondered if Jesus was really human, he never stopped eating, ever. In fact, if you look Luke, the physician Luke, he was the historian that wrote the book of Acts. If you read Luke's gospel, I think you guys are reading Matthew now, but if you read Luke's gospel, the whole thing's basically a, a, a recipe. All, Jesus, all he ever does is eat. He's going somewhere to eat. He's coming from somewhere that he's been eating. He's like turning fish and loaves into things. Like he never stops eating. He's embodied. Let me just, I'm going to give you a few of them. Well, actually, Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. How's that for your God? Now, they were mad at him. The Pharisees were like, are you going to do anything spiritual? He's like, I did. I came eating and drinking. He ate and drank with people. Now, that, those were boundaries of, of intimacy in the ancient Near East. He ate and drank with people that they would never associate with. Meals with Jesus, a great little book by Tim Chester, says this. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Luke 7, he's anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary, his good friends. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus, during a meal, urges people to invite the poor, not their friends, to the table. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Just, just oh, hey, I'm just, I'm hungry. At the Last Supper, he eats, but his last thing he does is eats with his disciples, his friends. He says, you're not going to get this, but this is going to be my body broken for you. Luke 24, the risen Jesus, he just won't stop. Right? Luke 24, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's like, hey, 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 did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? We're like, who hasn't heard it? And they don't recognize him. But he eats with them. And when he breaks the bread, they're like, oh, it's him. And if you look at John's gospel, he restores Peter on the beach with a barbecue. So is it strange the followers of Jesus, his disciples, are breaking bread together? So here's a question. Isn't this liturgy, though? Isn't this at the form of liturgy? Sure. Prayer, like devoted to the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. That's what every, ch- every church does that all over the world. But does that mean it's normal in our regular lives? Yes. 
you look at verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. It's both. We break bread here. This is what forms us. This is the gospel. We're not put at the table because we belong at the table. We're put at the table because Jesus loves us. And he was consumed, right? So that we could have living bread and that we can be reconstituted and reconciled to him on an ongoing basis and feel like we are his kids. Not that we have earned it, because by the time I get to Sunday, I don't feel like I belong at this table anymore. And Jesus is like, come on up. But also at our houses, day by day. I love this. This is how you do mission. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. So that word day by day is used twice. Day by day, what were they doing? They were eating. What was God doing? Day by day, he added. The gospel became real to them at the tables. It wasn't just the extraordinary event of the Spirit being poured out. It was the ordinary event of walking in everyday faith. How was your day at work? I don't even want to talk about it. Pass the breadsticks. Tim Chester says in his book, Meals with Jesus, if you share a meal three or four times a week and have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building Christian community. That's what they were doing. Friends, here's the ask. Yes, it's true that the Christian community was formed around the temple. Everybody could come. That was the, the beauty and the power of the gospel. That was the fullness of God's plan. But they gathered around the table. So here's the ask. Be intentional with it. Be intentional with your table. There's a book called The Great Dechurching. Uh, it's by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. It's a great book. I'd suggest you read it. It says that there's 40 million de-churched people, adults, in our country right now. That means 15% of our country used to go to church. I'm like, oh, that's sad. Kind of. Um, it also says that most, because he, he talked to them, most of them will come back with an invitation and a relational nudge. Bring it to your table. Bring your neighbor to your table. It's normal. Christians are weird. We're just weird. And this feels weird to people. Sometimes community groups where we sit in a circle and talk about stuff is weird to people. It's okay. We understand it. But just bring them to your table. Be intentional with your table. God will seduce them by grace as they eat with you. You eat 21 times a week. I eat like 40 times a week. Pick one. It's okay. Use your table. And here's some defeaters, right? Well, my house is really not the kind where a company can come over. Okay. Well, hospitality is about showing off your Savior, not your space. Right? Or go to a park. That's what they do in Paris. Well, my house is a mess. Well, then go outside. Well, I don't cook. Do you know, have you ever heard of YouTube? Instead of 15 minutes watching cat videos, and they're funny, Take 15 minutes and learn how to make something. It's not hard. And also, it's a basic life skill. Learn how to cook something. Use it. Be intentional with your table. Here's why. You are the temple. Do you see that? When you're in the room, God's in the room. 
When you're gathered with another Christian, the Spirit of God is just thick. Do you see that? The, 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 the Spirit wasn't poured back into the temple because you are the temple. He's, that's what First Peter said. Do you think you got it wrong? I don't think he did. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, doxology, like living stones, are being built up as what? A spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You don't need signs and wonders. Jesus has got that down. But you're the temple. People are going to see him in you. You get that? Like, I don't feel like that. Neither do I. He doesn't need us to feel like that. And one of the easiest places we can do this is at our tables. Because when you're at the table, God's at the table. Not great? Well, maybe not like communion. Sure. This is worship. This is God's people at God's table. But if they don't believe, they're not ready for that, are they? Invite them. Maybe they'll come. But if nothing else, invite them to be. Be intentional with your table because it will lead them here. I've seen it happen over and over and over. And just, Jesus eats, but he was consumed too, wasn't he? This is why we can do this in power, because Jesus was consumed. This is what the cross is. Jesus was consumed, and he says this, I am the bread of life. You want to be filled? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not what? Oh, guys, you guys have read this. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not. Bingo. See, you even need it. You don't even need to open your Bible. Let's take our hunger to him. Death consumed him so that we can have life. He did this for us, that we might eat living bread together. Jesus made you his temple. Jesus put you at his table. He's empowered you to show him off as your savior. Let's start with our tables. So my friend Marie, we became great friends, her and her husband. And um, she called me about a year and a half ago. And they never came back to church but she was in Paris, and she was dying of cancer. And it was it really surprised me, and I picked up. And she wanted to talk. And then she died. And um, I don't know where she stood with the Lord. But here's what I do know, that everything that Marie knew of the Lord, she knew because she was at our table. That's it. God wants to use your table. He wants us to be intentional with the rhythms of our life. He does not want us to segment our life and our faith and our faith and our life. So be intentional with it. Let's be intentional. Two ways. Eat with someone today, right in this room. Oh, I thought we had to eat with unbelievers. No, you don't have to eat with unbelievers. It's great, but eat together. It's a normal rhythm of life. And make the invitation. Invite someone today to your table. And you know who it is. You already, know, you already had them in your mind when we started talking about this. Make the invitation. Watch a video. Learn how to make beef stroganoff or something, right? Make a salad. They come in plastic bags. We can do this. God will take, right? Jesus is really good at taking anything that we have and using it for his glory.
Let's be intentional with our tables. He wants to know us, he wants to forgive us, and he wants to use us to show his salvation off. This, people are ready to taste this. Let's open the doors.